Thank you, Zoe. We are uh, reminded again of God's goodness to us as we go into uh, our sermon time. We're going to be spending time in Ephesians chapter 1. Um, We are going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, I downloaded the remote this week, but uh, it, it's, we're still connecting. So we, uh, yeah, we're, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get that in a second, but we're going to be, are you, you guys good yeah. down there? Okay. Okay. Go to, a, oh, can you, I think you might need to, on my computer, select my iPhone as the thing that we can connect to set it up as a remote. So we're talking about good church, bad church this week. Uh, yeah, but I had to download it and update it. And so it was riveting Facebook living, I'm sure. Um, and also riveting for all those who are present. So, um, oh, there we go. Eight, two, four, six. There we go, on Facebook Live. It gives you a different one every time. It's fine. Okay, so we're talking about good church, bad church this week. And, uh, oh, I gotta change this. Oh, no, that's wrong. Nope. Sorry. There we go. There we go. Okay, so we're talking about good church, bad church this week, and what we've... Okay. We're talking about good church, bad church this week, and what we've talked about for the last little while is we've just tried to bring out the definition of, of, of who we are and what we're doing. And, and one, of, one of the things that we've come to is that church is people. That's primary for us. And I know the church is people is probably a grammatically incorrect sentence, but I'm doing it for effect. Church is people. It's not organizations. It's not hierarchies. It's not denominations. It's not buildings. Church is people. Church is people, a cosmic people with a cosmic purpose. We have a cosmic people people with a cosmic purpose to go into the world in power and communicate the truth that transforms. That is the basics of, of, of how we've defined this group of people. And what we came to last week is that everything that we do ought to and needs to be undergirded and have the foundation in and be expressed in and be the, the water that we're swimming in is love. This is the most important thing. And if we lose sight of this, then we lose sight of the God who called us and we become something that is no that is of no use to us nor is it of any use to the world so what we're going to talk about this week as we as we keep trying to nail this down what is the difference between a good church and a bad church is we're, we're going to get to this idea of adoption because one of the things that's so interesting is that throughout scripture there sorry you're <laughs> so, um, one of the things that we, we, we deal with as we, as we look through Scripture is that, as, is that all of the New Testament is trying to tell people how to be church. In light of this reality that, 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 that God has given people in Jesus, how do we be a community of people that expresses this throughout the world? And, and one of the things that's interesting is, is we want to talk about this too, and the way that we conventionally, in our day and age, not just as our church, but as all churches, when, when we start to address this issue of how to be church, we start talking about the things that we do. 
We start talking about our programming, we start talking about our buildings, we start talking about our services, we start talking about the way that we interact with the world in a justice manner, providing for, those, for, for, the, for the poor and, and, the, and the fatherless and the orphan and the refugee. We, we, we talk about the things that we do, and, there's, and that's very important, and the, you know, and the sins that we engage in and the sins that we tolerate, and, you know, and we talk about what we do, but what's interesting is that's not where the New Testament starts most of the time. Most of the time, the, the New Testament starts rather than in what we do in who we are. This is a very different switch for us. You know, uh, because, because especially when we're talking about Paul, because Scripture has a ton, of, a ton to say before it gets to what we do about who we are. And, and as Paul is writing and inspired to write his, his epistles, he, he's engaging with people who are trying to figure out how to be. And they're coming into an entirely different way of living, and they're trying to deal with, 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 with okay, now that I found Jesus, now I have to treat my, my spouse differently. Now that I've found Jesus, I need to treat my children differently. Now that I've found Jesus, I need to relate differently to the person who I work for or the person who owns me. You know, as a person who knows Jesus, I need to relate differently to the people that work for me or that I, I own. Not that owning people is good. It was just a reality of the world that was, you know, different. I have to have a different relationship with the political empire that, that is over me. As I've come to know Jesus, I need to have a, uh, all of a sudden the rules have changed about what I can eat and, and, and who, I can have, who I can have sex with. And these are important deals for them, and they're important issues, and he does address them. But before he gets the, to, the, to that, he, do, he talks about who we are in Jesus, the new identity that has been given us. And this is really important because as a church, we have been called to be and we want to be about transformation, becoming new people, becoming new creations in Christ. That's what we want to do for each other and for the world. And I think it's very easy for us to rather than get caught up in transformation, to get caught up in modification. That we're, that what we're really about, because it's easier to control, is about modifying people's behavior. And, and, and I got to be honest with you, modifying behavior is really, really important. Modifying behavior is sometimes life-saving. But if all we have is modifying behavior, it's not going to actually get to the core of who we are. And, and, and I know this because I smoked for 10 years. You know, I smoked from the age of uh, about 14, 15, up until I got married, I smoked for 10 years. And then I quit smoking. And then... When I quit smoking, I was like, I am free of addiction, and immediately ran to sugar and carbs as hard as I could, right? And that was a life-changing behavior modification for me, but it didn't address the fact that I was standing around feeling inadequate in myself, and I wanted to control something in the world by shoving something into my mouth. The content of it had changed, but the reason had not. I hadn't, I had, my behavior had been modified, but I have, it hadn't been transformed, and we want to Transformation deep down is not about our actions, but transformation recognizes that our actions are the wellspring of who we are and who we believe that we are. So that's why we're going to talk about adoption. So in his letter to the Ephesian, Paul starts off this way. He starts, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
praise for spiritual blessings in Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. This is interesting because Paul starts off his letter with answering the basic question that I believe is at the core of every battle that we face as human beings. He starts off by saying, you have enough. The basic question that we're asking at the heart of everything, I believe, is do we have enough? And enough whatever, it doesn't really matter, but we're asking if we have enough, if we have enough love, if we have enough relationships, if we have enough food, if we have enough water. And this is not just a problem in the ancient society that the people of Ephesus sat around being very anxious about, do I have enough political safety? Do I have enough food resources? This has been thousands of years. This is what we see in the prophet Haggai. The prophet Haggai, after the, the people of Israel have been, were exiled, they returned to Jerusalem, and they had this period of prosperity, but in the midst of their period of prosperity, they don't seem to be very happy in it. And... and God inspires the prophet Haggai to say this to them. He says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You're put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is amazing. Multiple hundreds and, 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 and thousands of years before the coming of Christ, there was this group of people who, who, who ate lots and lots of food, but somehow never managed to be filled up. There were these people who, who drank everything that they could find and still somehow managed to remain thirsty. There are people that, that bought clothes and had clothes, but somehow they couldn't acquire enough clothes to do what clothes were supposed to do. They were people who, who earned more money and more money and more money and more money and still managed to not have enough money at the end of the month. Very different than the time in which we live now, right? And in the midst of this, God says to these people, hey, attention, you have God is constantly giving you is you have enough. Your enough is never going to, if you're looking to an answer to the question, do I have enough clothes? Do I have enough food? Do I have enough to drink? If you're looking for clothes and food and drink to answer that question for you, you're never going to have enough. But what's interesting is that Paul starts off his letter with this, that that the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. The answer to the question, do we have enough, is yes, you have enough. You may not feel like it. I may not feel like it. What's that? Use my okay. okay. We may not feel like we have enough. But we have enough. We have been gifted every spiritual blessing. And every, we think like, well, those are just spiritual blessings. I need to, with the food, and I need to, you know, cover my, my body with things, and I need to have more white sneakers. But God is saying, yeah, don't worry about those things. Those things are secondary. What is primary is every spiritual blessing. And we have enough. But why do we have enough? We could say, okay, you tell me that I have enough. Why, why do we have enough? And Paul continues. He says, 
For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. And I'm just going to stop and, and say, anytime you see anywhere you're reading the Bible that God has done something for the fun of it, okay, for his pleasure and will. Whenever you see that God has done something for his own joy, pay attention to that. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. So there's something, a few things that I want us to pay attention to, just as the language that Paul uses to start off. It says, for he chose, for he eklego us in him before the creation of the world. This just means choose. He, I, I selected for myself. So he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he proorizo predestined us. Now, this is a word that means to, 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 to make boundaries, okay? So before everything, he made boundaries that had us on the in side. Uh, he, pro, he, he made boundaries with us on the inside for, for uh, I'm going to get this one wrong, huiothia, huiothesia, oh, sorry, huiothesia, okay, which is the word for adoption. And this is, a, what's interesting is this is a legal word. This isn't a metaphor that he's using. This is a legal term. And the way that it was used was an adoption. If you had been, you could be part of someone's household and live in their household and be taken care of. Let's imagine that a man had a servant, uh, and that servant died, and that man who had a servant took in that servant's son and, and raised him as part of his family. He could raise him as part of his family and care for him and feed him and, and have him living in his house, and without him being huiothesiad, right, if he wasn't adopted, then he wouldn't be an enti entitled to the inheritance when that man died. He would live his life and die in a servant as a servant. But what that man could also do in the ancient world is to say, actually, you are a part of my family now. I'm going to huiothesia you, and now you are legally entitled to a chunk of my inheritance when I pass away. It's a legal context word that he is doing. So, so he, we have been legally adopted and placed in line to receive an inheritance. This is what God has given us. So this is very fascinating to me because we come to this statement that we've been chosen for the, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And some of us come read that sentence and we think, but I'm not holy and blameless. I, I've done things that have destroyed other people. I've done things that have destroyed myself. I haven't loved God with my whole heart. I haven't loved my neighbors as myself. How can I have been chosen beforehand to be holy and blameless in his sight? Well, the good news that we've been given and that Paul has already told these people because he's writing the letter after he's already known them is that Jesus himself has stepped in to take care of that, right? That his life and death and sacrifice make, renders us holy and blameless. So all of those things that we believe are holding us back, that are preventing us from stepping into the full realization of what Jesus has chosen for us, that he has, he has placed himself in between to make these things right. We've been taken care of. 
And and not only that, we have been pro Aritza. We, we he selected us and placed us inside the boundaries. This is fascinating language because the tradition that most people grew up in in the ancient world was all about boundaries and who was on the inside and who was on the outside. We, as Jews, are the chosen people, they would have said in the Old Testament. And everyone who is inside is clean, and everyone who is outside is unclean. We have boundaries that are placed around us. And even in the Roman world, they had the same thing, that, that this is the group of people that are citizens, and if you are inside of the, uh, of the realm of citizens, we care about you and what happens to you. If you are outside of the realm of citizens, if you are outside of that boundary, we don't care about that. And there was constantly this navigation of, am I on the inside of this boundary, or am I on the outside of this boundary? Am I clean, or am I unclean? Where do I fit in whatever is happening? And Paul tells these people that from before the beginning of the universe, before the beginning of the universe, you were chosen to be on the inside. God set the boundaries with you on the inside. Not only that, you've been, you are legally entitled to an inheritance in what Jesus has given because you have been adopted in. Now, this, these are all identity things, okay? These are all about who you are. But the reality is in the way that this changes us that the path to being a good church starts not with what we do and getting all our programs straight and making sure that we don't have any large, obvious sins that the world is going to look down on. But the path to us being a good church is to realize that, that being a good church starts not with what we do, but with who we are and, and opening ourselves up to the reality that we are chosen and adopted and have been given everything that we need to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish in this world. The challenge of Ephesians right at the beginning is that we are living too small. And that our vision for those around us is also too small. Because he continues, With all wisdom and all and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to put into effect, the, uh, to put into effect when times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. So, What does Paul say about why did he choose and predestine and adopt the people of Ephesus? Why did he choose and predestine and adopt us? The reason for that was for his own joy to bring all things into unity under Christ. Which, And this is radical for us because the purpose of Why God has chosen us to be here is so that every human being that you meet, every blade of grass, every system and organization in this world will be brought to unity under Christ so that they work for the fulfillment and the the flourishing of all human beings. That's a massive, massive task, but that is what we have been called to. And we, as we start to talk about who we are, let us be clear that we are about nothing less. All things are going to be unified under Christ and what he's doing. And and it's interesting for me, and I think it's foundational for us, that this idea of unity comes out of a declaration of the the doctrine of predestination. Okay, Because he uses that word, predestination. And I want to be really clear, I love the doctrine of predestination. If you don't 
If, you, if you're not familiar with the doctrine of predestination, that's the idea that before the beginnings of the, the earth, uh, before the beginning of time, God chose, us, chose those who would follow him beforehand, okay? Uh, I love the doctrine of predestination. But if what you get, and I want to clarify some doctrinal points here, if what we get from reading these passages about adoption and predestination... went the wrong way. If what we get from reading these passages about, uh, about sorry. Okay. If what you get from the, the, uh, the, these passages about predestination and choosing and adoption, if what you get from that after reading that is that these people a group which I happen to be in, have been predestined for heaven, and this group of people who I happen to not be in have predestined, are predestined for hell, you are reading the passage wrong. That is an incorrect, you've missed the point. And if we understand the doctrine of predestination and what we get from that is this double predestina, predestina, predestination idea that God is happy to take these people to heaven and happy to send these people to hell, then we have entirely missed the point of the doctrine. We are the older brother at the party for the prodigal son, who as God welcomes the, the, the younger son back with open arms and throws a celebration for him, that we're the ones saying like, but I never got a party. But God chose these other people to go to hell and burn for eternity. That is not the point of the doctrine of predestination. The, pro the point of the doctrine of predestination is to tell all people that God has chosen us from the beginning of time to be a part of his community. So when you read this passage and it says you have been chosen and something in your heart responds to that and says it's me, I'm confident and, and God has chosen me from the beginning of time, then yes, he is talking to you. You are included in that category. If you read that and your heart says, is that me? Because I've done a whole bunch of nasty stuff in my life. And I don't know if I'm qualified based on what I've done to be within that group of people. I don't know if I'm capable of that. If you approach that with uncertainty, I want to promise you and guarantee you that that you includes you. You are part of that y'all. I'm sorry, English is an inferior language. But if you read this, the you are intended for, have been chosen and predestined for adoption. If you read that and your response to that and your, the, the response of your heart is that's not them, then you're probably not included in that, y'all. I know that that's strong, but I'm very serious about this because the doctrine of predestination has been misused to damage a whole lot of people. God is bringing all things to unity under Christ. This is not a diminishment of Christ to say that, that God has chosen us for these things. Who we are are people who have been given everything to bring all things to unity under Christ. So how does this affect who we are and what we do as individuals? Well, this starts out by changing us and transforming us, that, that what we do, the actions that we undertake, uh, are, are no longer trying to conform our behavior to achieve a level of holiness. It's not about leveling up. It's not about getting better. It's not about me accomplishing things. We're not, the, the, the kingdom of God is not gamified, to use some, some contemporary language. 
but rather it's talking about are we acting in line or out of line with who we are? Is are our actions in tune with what God has created to be or are they out of tune with what we have been created to be? The nature of an instrument, once it has been made by its maker, is to be in tune. That's what it's designed to do. It's designed to make sounds that, that don't hurt your ears because the, the maker of that instrument has learned through their crafts to make that instrument to be in tune. Instruments get out of tune all the time because of weather adjustments or you moved them or you looked at them funny if it's the wrong instrument. They get out of tune all the time. But the nature of what they are supposed to do is to be in tune. We as human beings have been designed to be in tune with God, to be in tune with creation, to be in tune with each other. We get out of tune. But our actions are not we're trying to achieve tune because then God will reward us. Our actions are God calling us back to who we have been designed and intended to be. When we act in accordance with this, and our job as a church is to act in accordance with this as individuals. And as we act and as we speak, then we bring all people to this table. Because it's at this table where, where, where Jesus invites us to eat his flesh and drink his blood. It's at this table where he invites us to say, all things in heaven and earth have been given to me. Come here. Come recognize your, your, your flatness and your equality with the rest of humanity. Come recognize your need and humility, but also recognize that you have been chosen and predestined and adopted to be entirely different than you are and have been for, the, for a very long time. This is the challenge for us as a church to get this adoption piece right because we're, when we're inviting people, we're not merely inviting people and as we proclaim the gospel in actions and in deeds, we're not merely inviting people to just be a part of our community or to show up on Sundays and, and, and eat some cool food. That's a, that's a great first step. All of those are wonderful and good things but they're not the main thing. The main thing we're inviting people to is to be part of a community that is desperately attempting to regain and make ourselves in tune with what God has made for us, with, with what God has intended for us to be. And we believe that that is good news for the world, because you know as well as I do, the world is an anxious place and a scared place that wonders where they fit in. And we can tell and wonders, am I going to have enough? And because of what Jesus has given us, we can say, yes, you do. And yes, there is a place for you. And yes, you belong. And yes, you have been given life. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have chosen us. We thank you that you have predestined us. We thank you that you have adopted us. And we thank you that for your good pleasure, for your enjoyment, you're bringing all things into unity under you. We ask that you would, as we've gone out of tune, that you would tune us back to be in line with who you are and what you're doing. We would ask that, that we not consume ourselves with thoughts of how we can attain goodness and attain glory and attain wholeness, but that we would recognize that these things are a gift from you that we already possess and we ought to live in accordance with them. We ask that you would help us to, to make that the good news that we share with other people, not just that God can come along them, alongside them and change their behavior, but that God can, can that, that, that we, God wants to adopt us and to set us free 
and to give us a, a place at his table as, as sons and daughters of the king. Help us to, to recognize that and have that affect the way that we speak and the way that we live. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.